You're about to listen to an episode where we talk about hunting. So you might be interested in my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. To get it, go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. From this guide, you will learn how to get a deer hunting license, obtain a firearm certificate, and get permission to hunt deer on a chosen piece of land. Everything is explained in simple language and in easy-to-follow steps. Get my free guide on how to get started in deer hunting in Ireland. Simply go to deerhunting.ie or click on the link in the show notes. You are tuning in to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. After you finish listening to it, why not take a moment to listen to one of the most recent episodes? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Tommy's Outdoors 66. How are you people? I hope you are all doing great. This episode of the podcast is the one I wanted to record for quite a while. We all heard the phrase, hunting is conservation, and hunters are quite keen and quite often claim conservation. But in fairness, hunting is not always conservation. However, there is probably no better example where hunting is conservation than Africa, African wildlife conservation and trophy hunting. So the most obvious way to do that podcast would be to bring you a professional hunter who would tell you all how hunting is conservation. But I think I have something much more interesting in this episode, because our guest is Professor Adam Hart, biologist, author, and broadcaster, who has a keen interest in wildlife conservation, who been to Africa, who's seen things with his own eyes, how they look like on the ground, and on top of that, he is not advocating for hunting. He is not advocate for hobby or sport like hunting. He is interested in conservation, evidence-based conservation. Most of the time on the podcast, we spend discussing complexity of conservation, hunting, and interaction between wildlife and people and politics and all these aspects. And we also specifically discussed situation of elephants in Botswana. As you might be aware, last year Botswana started selling trophy hunting packages for elephants. And obviously that is a once in a lifetime opportunity for bucket list hunting holidays. But it's not that simple as many think. It's not a matter of, oh, we have too many elephants, so let's send some guys with copper solids and we sort out the problem. It's much more complex and much more difficult to solve. Obviously, the subject is so complex and so interesting that we could spend hours and hours talking about it, and obviously we did not have that much time. So perhaps we will hear from Professor Adam Hart on the podcast again. And for now, ladies and gentlemen, African Wildlife Conservation with Adam Hart, just after this short message. I want to ask you a favor. To help me with the podcast, please leave a five-star rating on the app or the website where you are listening to me right now. And if you want to go the extra mile and help me even more, leave a review. And now, please enjoy this episode of Tommy's Outdoors.
Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to have you, and uh, I must say I'm following your 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 Twitter page for some time, and uh, I'm really impressed. It seems like you're always on Twitter. How are you doing that? You have like a a lot of people who are behind the scenes are controlling that. Or is it all 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 you? No, it's it's all me. I I must confess at times I, I feel a bit like a, I'm addicted to Twitter. I I, th- I find it a really useful way of of getting information. Actually, it kind of uh, particularly for sort of science these days, it's so hard to keep on top of things that if you follow a few key kind of people, they're always kind of dribbling out the information to you that you need to that you need to look for. Um, I, I do give myself some time out though. I I have. I have sort of uh, I usually do at least one day a week where I'm not where I'm not on Twitter but but sometimes I break if I see stuff coming through. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's a it's a fantastic tool if if you know how to use it for for people who don't know it's at Adam Hart Science. So I would I would thoroughly recommend that. And um obviously I'm I'm following uh, a lot of uh, discussion around conservation and and hunting and stuff like that. Um, and this is how I come across your page uh, on on Twitter. Um, before before we go there, I often get uh, labeled as a proponent or or advocate for trophy hunting lobby. Yes, um, I find it quite interesting, really. Um, I, I'm not a proponent or an advocate for anyone, really. Um, you know, my my sort of journey into this, I'm 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 interested in conservation science, but I'm also interested in the kind of complexities of of the real world, and you know. My, from the first time I, I visited Africa for the first time about 20 years ago and very quickly realized that that it was not this romantic ideal that I'd built up from from watching David Attenborough documentaries since I was you know mm. three years old it was a very different place uh, and actually the realities of conservation you know I, I came from a very sort of protectionist background for conservation you know you put a fence around it and you stop people from going in and and, and you keep everything like it is and I suddenly realized that actually that that wasn't really going to wash for a, a lot of the world so it was a real wake-up call I mean I was doing a PhD at the time um, actually in social insects so I was looking at bees and wasp behavior you know ant behavior but I was I was very much invested in biology I did an undergraduate degree at Cambridge I studied conservation ecology and yet I hadn't come across any of these kind of ideas before so it was a real wake-up call to realize that that the world was slightly different and and the biggest of that was was understanding that that hunting was actually used as, as a form of conservation in some of these areas and, and I have to say when I first came across that I was I was stunned I was um well, I, I was shocked uh <laughs> I, I think I was appalled to a certain extent um be- yeah because I I didn't I didn't understand but 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 I was in I was in Z- um, Zambia I was actually staying on a property that did hunting and and they very patiently and, and very thoroughly actually explained to me exactly exactly what what was going on and it was really clear to me I mean they said to me look you've driven here yeah how much wildlife have you seen and I said you know in Malawi we saw some monkeys and a hippo and on on the road to this particular property I'd seen no wildlife at all I'd seen lots of goats and cows and they said yeah that's exactly right because you know that land use is more valuable than wildlife but but here on their property wildlife had a value uh, and and that value was because people wanted to come and hunt it and you know that's when I suddenly realized that people weren't just hunting for meat so you know they weren't going out and and killing something just for the freezer they were taking the meat by the way there's this myth in trophy hunting that they just shoot stuff and leave it on the bush you know it's not nonsense anyone that's been to africa knows what what a ridiculous prospect Mm. that is um so they were taking the meat but they were also taking the horns or taking the skin and in some cases, wanting to measure those horns officially, you know, they were official measurers yeah. and, and, you know, to get in the book, which I realized was, you know, found was the Roland Ward book or SCI's book. And and that was just, mm-hmm. I opened up this whole new kind of, you know, 
avenue of, of, of things. But, but all the way through this was, of course, money. You know, it was yeah. it was the money that they were bringing, and that money meant that that land was being used better. You know, it had a better profit um, for wildlife than it did for for cattle. And 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 if that wasn't the case, they would have converted to to cattle. But as it was, they had this huge yeah. property. I mean, we, we talk about. You know, a lot of these areas that we're talking about in Africa, actually, particularly in South Africa, but in other areas are kind of fenced areas. And, and I think mm-hmm. pe- people think that, that animals are sort of running around and, and, and people down there will call them farms. And, and I think people don't realize that we're talking about areas the size of sort of English counties in some cases. Um, yes. uh, well, you know, one of the famous areas in Zimbabwe, the Bubier Valley Conservancy, is the size of Luxembourg. Um, yeah. You know, collectively, and, and I think this is something that people don't understand either, the amount of land that's actually protected because that's what we're dealing with we're dealing with protection of habitat that's protected um through conservation hunting trophy hunting is about 1.3 million square miles um it's a huge area it's bigger than france across the whole of of southern africa we're we're talking about uh, well botswana now uh namibia that doesn't include south africa which is a slightly different sort of situation we can talk about but zimbabwe zambia mozambique and tanzania and and actually also not co- you know, I would say not coincidentally also the the areas that are doing best in terms of sort of megafauna conservation so it's a very big big issue but yeah when I first came across it it was it was it was something of a shock <laughs> yeah yeah and you know this is this is something that that I I noticed many times that um, obviously number one people find uh, kind of counterintuitive that how hunting is conservation yes and you know to be honest um, in in especially in Europe sometimes I I feel like hunters uh, claiming conservation a little bit too a little bit too fast and and this is what I was saying as well yes. you know uh, for example as a as a, I'm based in Ireland and I, I said on the podcast uh, I think a few times that I I am really struggling to uh, say that oh I'm uh, you know this is conservation what we're doing in terms of hunting it, there can be some argument made but not like a hundred percent but I think that Africa and what's going on in Africa is is really like a example because on one end this is really um, the 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 role that hunting plays in Africa is really significant it's not it's not like a, some licensing fee or or something like that it's like you said this is this is protection of the massive amounts of land and protective protection of the habitat on one end and then on the other hand um because it's a so so charismatic and and so iconic the the african african animals right like even like if you ask again i'm kind of going to repeat myself from the previous episodes of the podcast but even if you ask kids in in england or ireland you know name the animal they're going to go like zebra or elephant, right? Yeah. They're, they're not gonna go woodcock or, or you know, whatever else, hare or, uh, you know. So now and then it's like, oh, you're killing those poor animals. How this is, how this is conservation. How this. And one of the things that I heard, like she said, I, I, I can't re- recall now the source, but it was like 22% more land is protected by uh, trophy hunting concessions than all the national parks combined now i don't know i don't know if it's entire africa or one of the countries but it gives a sense of scale yeah i mean uh, it, it's in terms of africa it's a, it's a good deal more um just in in south africa alone the amount of land that's protected underneath uh, sort of conservation hunting is about three times the size of, of national parks i mean the kruger national park is a huge transfrontier national park in south africa it's about two million hectares 
um, and the amount of land in private hands which is used for for hunting is about 20 million hectares so <laughs> you know th- th- these are huge a huge undertaking but you're absolutely right it's not sufficient just to um, claim conservation benefits you know those those need to be evidenced and I think what people often don't understand is that there is a huge body of evidence this isn't something that people haven't studied um, it's actually been studied a great deal and and it part of the reason I think for confusion is that obviously those studies throw up different um, findings sometimes so we had a, a study this last week that, that looked at cougar hunting in um, North America which showed that actually really it doesn't seem to have a conservation benefit it's, it's not causing a, a problem but the only benefit seems to be to sport hunters now people will jump on that and say ah hunting is wrong well no actually for a population of cougar in the californian mountains hunting has neutral effects um you can't you can't then say what will happen in other populations or in other species on other continents and and that is one of the big problems but but what we can say and and i haven't had anyone manage to successfully argue against this is that in countries like namibia for example um, and south africa parts of tanzania that that hunting does not protect that habitat because the reality is it gives value to it but it also it involves local people within that conservation because you know people live in africa there's there's this notion that africa is a kind of unspoiled wilderness and it, and it isn't um people yeah. have lived there for a very long time indeed um our species evolved there you know Af- africa has a much older history than, than than the history that we often think of um it goes back thousands of years with empires and and sophisticated uh cultures that that lived there so you know this notion that we're somehow in africa as a sort of aberrance is, is completely wrong people have been part of this habitat and they still are and those people need to have an income too you know yeah pe- people want to develop now you develop as a nation based on the resources at your disposal now the great shame about africa is that it has a huge number of resources which are far more valuable actually than wildlife so mining for example there are an enormous mineral deposits that that's been really a, a curse for africa because of of overseas exploitation of of them but but that's that that's the reality there's a huge amount of resources now if we internationally want wildlife and i believe that we do and i think we're right to think of it as our international heritage we have to accept that the alternatives to having wildlife running on land is to have that land developed for some other thing it might be for agriculture it might be for strip mining you know, it might, it might be for hydrodynamic projects to provide energy. You know, there are lots of other competing land uses. So if we want wildlife to be there, we have to give it value. And currently, um, certainly according to an international report, uh, an, an independent report that came out recently, of all of the forms of community conservation that give land value, there is nothing currently that measures up to trophy hunting and ecotourism where it works. But that report was very careful to couch the fact that ecotourism is not a panacea. Um, ecotourism is wonderful when it works it's uh, it's terrible when it doesn't work for the people and the wildlife and the habitat Um, and and it can't work everywhere so we're we're not going to come up with a one-size-fits-all there's not gonna be this magic solution whereby we can do you know one thing and it protects all that habitat what we need is is tools at our disposal and even though some people find it morally repugnant um, hunting is one of the tools that is currently working and 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 one of the things that i'm sort of you know counseling people against is this notion of of calling for immediate and massive bans and lots of people would like that right away they'd like it to be banned tomorrow mm-hmm. well i i would actually like it to to end too for more complex reasons but we can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater um that land will find other uses we've seen it in tanzania actually after um 
after the Cecil the Lion sort of debacle, which um, which we can talk about as well. Mm. The um, yeah. you know it, what what the Americans did was to ban the import of, of of lions, even you know even though they're actually allowed and the different things, and you know it wasn't mm. seen as a problem um, at the time. So what happened was that that made some of that land in Tanzania less valuable for wildlife, and some of the concessions that came up weren't bid on. And at least one of those concessions, which was about 12,000 square miles, I believe, was was rezoned as, as development land. So this is this is what we see. I mean, I've seen it in South Africa. You can see, uh, you know, if you're on a, a wildlife reserve that's, that's using hunting and, and in some cases tourism as well, and you look you look next door that isn't doing that what you'll see generally speaking is a very big difference in habitat the, the next door yeah. property will be running goats and cattle it'll have very very depauperate grassland um it generally will have very low um biodiversity it's usually got what's called bush encroachment so you get an awful lot of of effectively monocultural kind of acacia scrub growing through uh it really changes the dynamics and the structure of that environment and makes it much less biodiverse and and you can see this you know it, it doesn't this isn't i think a lot of people think that all this is kind of pie in the sky hypotheticals i mean you can see this happening all the time you can see it happening outside my house in the uk that was farmland it was a beautiful view there's now a small housing estate on there for the very simple reason that that land has greater value as a housing estate than it does as farmland so it gets converted and and, and what we see is this erosion and attrition of the, of the natural world and and, yeah. and and hunting is a way to to try and stop that but the reason why i would like to see it it stopped um phased out it is it's not for a moral reason i don't morally object to the activity it's not for a conservation reason i can't find a single species that's currently um under a conservation threat from trophy hunting and neither can lots of other people and believe believe me you know we've looked um and, and i very i'm very open to um anyone uh, coming up with examples i would love to know them the reason why i would like to see it phased out is i don't believe it's sustainable in the long term in terms of the number of people that will be doing it um yeah. in 50 to 100 years time i am i'm not sure that we will have a culture and society that that will have uh much hunting um left yeah. you know we're, we're already seeing hunting phased out um europeans certainly some countries hunt um the uk actually has an increasing number of people that are involved in in um hunting deer for example and and things but but i don't i don't think that over you know the next 50 to 100 years that we're going to see we're going to see this sort of persevere yeah uh, and so yeah, that's, that's, we need to look for solutions you know yeah there's a very interesting point and and I, I i cannot not agree with you on that that we see uh hunter recruitments it's it's going down and you know perhaps um you know it, it, uh, i have a problem to say like well let's let's all go hunting for conservation reasons that's that's yeah that sounds, uh, <laughs> but, right but anyway um listen i just want to you touch briefly on the on the uh, ecotourism and safaris and, and all that. And I would like you to um, elaborate a little bit on this because like when I see it, what I see is uh, number one, the hunters are usually much more um, happy for, you know, going somewhere in a bush and, and uh you know, be in the rough conditions. While in in the in the ecotourism, I see you know five star uh, hotels, and uh, then I see like a train of Land Rovers or Land Cruisers stuffed with people, and the wildlife kind of circles around them. And when I look at it, I say, well, that's not the wildlife. Those animals are barely wild. They're so accustomed to people and cars and 
this kind of doesn't look to me right. So while the hunter who goes through the bushes and they have trackers and they have all that, that that in much much more preserves the the habitat and actual wildness of those wild animals. Would you agree with that? Yes, yes, I would. From um, both from academic and, and personal experience. So um, you're you're absolutely right. One of one of the issues of, of ecotourism is is that generally speaking, tourists require a level of luxury. They demand it. And in fact, particularly in countries where perhaps their overseas currency is quite strong, there is almost that sense that, you know, you, you can live like a king and, and people want mm-hmm. that. And, and you, you know, it's, it's, it's actually quite hard to find accommodation um, when you go to places in Africa that, that, that aren't quite lavish or right the way down at the other end. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it can be quite difficult. So that, that's the first step. And of course, those luxury lodges and so on require infrastructure to support them which which has a huge potential carbon footprint but also an ecological footprint and long term i mean i've seen i've seen accommodation going up in, in petersburg national park for example that's that's involved quite a long-term building project by the back of um, one of the lodges over the last couple of years now i've i've seen elephant lion hyena rhino in that area they're not there anymore you know they've been they've been they've been scared off so you know these sorts of disturbances are not are not small on top of that comparing you're absolutely right Hunt, hunters don't require that they, they might like it and some lodges and you know, there's all kinds of we can't generalize here it's such a huge mm-hmm. um, undertaking and there are luxury hunting lodges of course but there's also a much more basic experience but the main the main thing is that they're paying much more per person much more per person to be there so yes. the the sort of if you like the the disturbance level is virtually minimal you know because you've got one or two people compared to hundreds and they're paying to be there and and, and they're, they're using much less in terms of, of infrastructure and carbon and so on when they are there so their impact overall is far less um, tourists do disturb wildlife and there's an increasing number of studies looking at for example the reduction in cheetah um, productivity when they're exposed to tourism um, nesting oh. birds and so on you can see all of these things actually with your own eyes you're absolutely right you go to any of these places you can see the influence i've seen lion hunts disturbed disturbed by tourists i've seen a leopard hunt disturbed by um, people trying to get too close i've seen people getting their feet run over i've seen people enga- engaging with elephants in ways that are life-threatening as a consequence of, of wanting to get a better photo. I've seen people get out of safari vehicles um, in the presence of dangerous animals, you know, really oh, idiotic, idiotic behavior, people driving around with the windows open in, in lion country, all of those sorts of things. So there are all kinds of issues with, with ecotourism um, that are often overlooked. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely has it definitely has that kind of um, impact. The other thing that's quite interesting is when when you sit in a tourist place, uh, one of the big topics of conversation is how little they've paid. Everyone is in this kind of spir- <laughs> spiral of getting a good deal. So a, tra- a trophy yeah. hunter might pay, you know, everyone wants a good deal, but a trophy hunter might pay 50000 I saw an elephant hunt um, being advertised this morning in Botswana for $37,000. That didn't include, I believe, um, a number of, of, of fees. Um, whereas, whereas, you know, you'll find tourists saying, oh, yeah, you know, we got this place for a week for, you know, $400. There's p- people are always looking to, to, to screw the price down. So that's an issue. The, the other issue is, we, I mean, tourism is a great source of, of employment. However, when you go to many of these tourist places, what you'll find is a great deal of the higher end jobs are being, if, if it's owned internationally, and many of the places are, they're often um, sort of staffed by people from Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, not even not even sort of um, uh, citizens of that country. So that, that's not uncommon. But the employment that, that is mainly offered in tourist concessions is cleaning, gardening, you know, carrying bags. Um, whereas in, in hunting areas, you'll be using people's skills that they've developed over a lifetime. And, and when you follow trackers 
or you see, I mean, if you see an expert Skinner at work, it is a mm-hmm. thing to, it is a thing to watch when you see someone yeah. that knows what they're doing, breaking a carcass down and keeping the skin so that it can be tanned and used. It is, it is phenomenal um, yeah. to watch. And when you watch a tracker, actually track an, a, a specific animal, find an animal and track it through, through heavy bush, potentially for hours, um and and tell you about that animal and 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 when you you know you come across it you know they 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 already know where it's going to be when when you when you really have that experience with someone that knows wildlife it is it is very very clear that that sort of person should be doing that and they shouldn't be gardening or some other option you know opportunity that's given to them Um, exactly and it's an interesting thing if we look across the sort of piece in in africa for example kenya banned uh, all hunting in the late 70s um largely under pressure actually from western ngos but they were also having issues with elephant ivory poaching and they thought that that they could control some of that um it it began a tourist industry that that now brings in over a billion dollars a year um they've seen their wildlife decline by 70 percent during that time and there's lots of issues um, there's a demographic bubble, for example. There's um, a massive increase in, in, in all sorts of things. There's been some political instability and so on. But but in all of those analyses, the fact that, that local people cannot benefit from wildlife has always come out. Yes. Okay. Their val- um, the value is negative. The value of the wildlife yeah. for them is negative it's, because the exactly. elephant destroys crops or whatever is happening and they they rather see it dead. It yeah. And so, you know, animals get snared. They get um, retribution poisoning, retaliatory poisoning, preemptive poisoning, which is actually one of the biggest threats to lions right now. And we get habitat mm-hmm. loss because that land becomes yeah. more valuable doing other things. Um, Botswana uh, had hunting, was 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 one of the, the premier hunting um, sort of, destinations up until 2014 when a moratorium on hunting was put Mm -hmm. in place now during that period up until very recently when that moratorium was lifted um some of the concessions which were available you know you could bid on them you you could run an ecotourist concession there they didn't Mm -hmm. get taken up and we saw a loss of income for those people i mean one village i heard of lost six hundred thousand dollars a year that was paying for all of their facilities and schools and pensions and everything you know that went um and we saw lots of lots of problems and and as a consequence and i know there are all kinds of political machinations that go on and nothing's as straightforward as it seems but as a consequence of that politically um you know the current government were, were voted in and did a consultation which you know seems to have been done correctly and and they've reinstated it that's that that's that's interesting and and actually there was a little bit of a um you know some people were saying oh they're selling elephants now you know we want to bid on the elephants so that they don't get killed and and hunted and they they kind of weren't allowed to by the government and there's all kinds of people saying well they've been blocked and you know this isn't right yeah the reality of course is that those tourist concessions were open for the last five years and, and many you know those organizations haven't stepped in what what we yes. find is a lot of people who talk talk but when it comes down to it what we need is money on the ground to safeguard that habitat and currently in many places it is hunters whether we like it or not that are supplying that and that's i think what what concerns you know me and and a lot of other scientists too this isn't a minority viewpoint this is the the viewpoint of the iucn you know this isn't this isn't me going out on a a limb this is actually being quite you know centrist really um and and sensible is is that that we are we are going to be in trouble if we don't find alternative ways to keep that land safe from other uses and we don't find ways to work with people in those areas or or increase the number of hunters (laughs) well this this is get more people hunting (laughs) 
Yeah, this is this is another thing. You know, start to develop new areas, which which I don't think anyone is seeing as a potential way forward. But yeah, I mean, if if people start start wanting to do it, of course, you're you're right early to say. You know, you can't suddenly have everyone in the world hunting. But equally, with the sort of money that's involved, you wouldn't. I mean, my my my, yeah. my, my sort of argument. I mean, I, I spoke to Craig Packer about this. So he's the kind of you know world expert on lions, and and I, I interviewed him about hunting, and he was very clear about it that that he finds it abhorrent, but he absolutely sees the value of it, and that well. Yeah regulated trophy hunting can be can be an important tool in safeguarding habitats and that that is not a threat to lions you know that was that was his 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 considered response but you know his his argument was you know make the buggers pay you know you shouldn't be able to go to africa and shoot a lion for fifteen thousand twenty thousand dollars it should cost you half a million you know if you want to shoot an elephant brilliant you know a million dollars that's how much it's going to cost you and when you see i mean i don't follow these things very very closely but i know some of the tags for bighorn sheep in the rocky mountains i i, I believe they can be sold for five hundred thousand or more yeah it's so-called governor's tag i think that's yeah that, that's, that's that's like a one or two tags but the other thing is that you're sometimes you're waiting 30 40 years to, to for, get one, you, yeah. you know they have all the system a uh, very complex system of preference points and you know right. if you're putting putting every year you and you're not gonna get drawn then you have like preference points and so so people are accumulating those preference points and then you, you see you know rather older people going hunting and they say like well yeah i was i was putting for that tag for the past 40 years or 30 years right. and here i am <laughs> you know while i still can you know even, yes. even go to the mountains to to so exactly exactly that's 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 exactly uh right listen adam you mentioned botswana and uh, and and this is like uh a lot of there's a lot of talk recently because yes. you know all you know poor 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 elephants we're we're they're gonna sell elephants they're gonna kill elephants all that all that talk um but i think that the situation and i, I don't know if i've got it right but the situation is specific in botswana because it's not like and you're gonna correct me if i'm wrong in a second it's not a situation where you have a massive wildlife wilderness area protected and you have an elephants and now they open those elephants to hunting it, the, the problem is that those elephants are kind of like intermingled uh, for the want of a better word with local people with local population and they're is there's a there's a you know deadly situation when you have this happening and they're trying to mitigate that situation with lowering the number of elephants that are living essentially in the same area where people do uh but then yeah, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm going to stop here and, and let you tell me whether whether that's that's right or whether I got it wrong. Yeah, okay. So so you're right. There's um there's lots of different types of areas within Botswana. So some of the areas are national parks. People aren't hunting in, in national parks, um, but around the national parks and actually far exceeding in terms of land volume, the national parks, you've got areas which are put aside for concessions. So you you can you can buy the rights to to hunt there if you like and you can set up properties there and, and, and ecotourism. Obviously we're talking about the Okavango Delta, so quite a lot of these areas are, are running um, tourist operations. But yeah, that's there's only so much it's not like ecotourists are a massive you know unlimited resource. There's only so many people that can go down there. And some of those some of those areas are also running hunting. And they've been able to bid into these parcels of elephants. So about 270, I believe, were, were, were put on trophy, as they would say, and they're being sold off in, in packages, um, which have raised lots of money. We were talking, you know, millions of millions of dollars collectively over over the course of those auctions. 
-hmm. Now, Botswana has a very interesting situation when it comes to elephants. Um, it has a standing population of around 130,000. That's um, the sort of the, the number that you can guarantee are there. At certain times of the year, obviously, elephants don't take any notice of international borders. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, they slip across. There's a very large sort of frontier area between a number of countries up around um, in Botswana and surrounding areas. Um, so at any given point, I, I've seen numbers as high as 250,000. Now, when you talk to various different people, so those numbers are pretty much undisputed, right? They, they have, you know, well over 130,000 elephants at most times. Mm -hmm. They they don't have a carrying capacity for that many elephants. Now, carrying capacity is a problematic term, and it can be difficult to estimate. Um, however, when you look at different estimates of how many elephants, if you like, the environment can support, those th 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 those um, estimates are frequently um, somewhere between 30 and 50,000 um, oh. are numbers that you can find. So, I mean, you can find any number you can stand there, but we're sort of broad, broadly speaking, those are the figures. Regardless of the exact value of what you decide those numbers are, we have a, a population that far exceeds any published sensible carrying capacity that I've seen. And you can see that evidence. So I was in Botswana back in November around the southeast part of the, the Okavango Delta, and you, you can clearly see where elephants have moved through. They've, they've converted the area into a sort of lunar landscape. The trees huh. yeah, have all been pushed over. You know, there's there's very clear signs everywhere. It doesn't come across in photographs. It really comes across in the landscape itself. Now, elephants are very important at doing that. Elephants are ecological engineers they structure habitats pushing over trees is part of what they do yes mm -hmm. however when you have very large numbers of them doing it in concentrated areas because they're not able to move over the landscape like they used to because we're there and we've built roads and so on you can end up with a problem so first of all you do have some physical problems now there are all sorts of arguments. So people say, oh, well, down by the Chobe River, that's a natural process. OK, but up here it's not. You know, you can argue the ins and outs of it, but I don't think anyone can argue the fact that, that they are causing some ecological damage in, in certain places. And on top of that, you're absolutely right, as well as crop damage and crop raiding, they are killing people. Um, I believe, I'm sorry, I don't know if you can hear that pings that are going off. No, no. I don't. Oh, cool. That's my computer. Um, so on top of that, they're causing crop damage, um, but they're also killing people. And I, I saw figures last year, I think, of 34 people. It may have been 37. They were disputed, actually. A number of animal rights charities um, have disputed those publicly. Um, but they've disputed them by saying, oh, they only killed 17, which I find um, quite a... <laughs> I mean, OK, well, you know, what, how, how many people is an acceptable number of people? So so you have a population yeah. that is that is sort of threatened, if you like, by elephants. And, and I mean, I interviewed people around the Peelensburg National Park in South Africa with the idea of getting them to say, you know, it was a kind of manipulative interview. Really. I wanted them to say that they were scared of lions because it fitted the story we were telling. They're not scared of lions. They're scared of elephants. Yeah. It's elephants it's, it, because elephants are huge. I've been on the ground, you know, close to an elephant that was, was kicking off. It was quite, you know, I was with someone that knew what they were doing and it was kind of mock charging and I knew all that. But nonetheless, it was still pretty scary. I've been on vehicles with, you know, elephants a bit too close or, or whatever. And you kind of, you know, you're not sure what to do. And you feel that sort of, you know, it's, it's not. Yeah, they're, they're big, <laughs> huge. Yeah. Um, the, the idea of, of sitting in, you know, a, a, a hut somewhere with with a group of elephants moving through my effectively my back garden, you know, knowing that that in some cases they've killed people or trampled people or whatever, you know, that is that is a day to day reality for people that live in areas where there are. Elephants. I, I always I always wondering, you know, people who are so so opposed to hunting or so opposed, you know, have this this. Uh, really radical views of like you know stop hunting now and so on and so forth. How would they, how would they, uh, what would they say if they were actually because you know in in fairness they usually live in comfortable comfortable lives and the most wildlife they see is a rat. And how would they feel if they were 
in the active danger of uh, being trampled by elephants. I guess yeah. their their point of view would change radically and quick. probably very swiftly, along with, of course, living living with predators. Um, yeah. And 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 the real danger to people from lions. I mean, obviously they do attack people, um, but but they also attack um, cattle. And when cattle yeah. are your wealth, then then that is a big problem. Um, so yeah. So so what Botswana um, did when they reopened the hunting was to allow some elephant hunting. Now elephant hunting in any sensible numbers and in any numbers which would which would you know be be even remotely feasible is not going to reduce the population um you could you could i mean in principle do it but it's never going to happen um the 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 very small numbers that they put on trophy really are to supply um, income to those areas in a a sense an appeasement right okay there's elephants here but look you you know you can get some value from them um, to provide development for those areas Um, there's also some other ideas that potentially hunting elephants in certain areas makes them shy of people um, so it moves them into other places trying to shift wildlife around a tricky environment with lots of different land uses and already problematic in terms of migratory corridors and things is is risky and i've seen people you know suggest that that might be a problem it might well be nothing is perfect um, nothing, yeah. nothing is going to work out brilliantly. Um, some people say we should just leave them alone. Well, that's very easy for for us to say. I think a lot of people think that you know nature will find a balance. Well, it will do. But we've we've put roads across the place and and we've changed some of it to farmland and things. Very often, the balance that nature will find is not the balance that we want. We have already manipulated the natural world in many of these places. So. You know, we, we, we have to accept that. Um, it is it is problematic. So so Botswana I feel it's almost like a like a accepting responsibility for, for what we've done and now for the wildlife. It's it's yes. I, I think it's like, oh just leave it alone and well nature will find a solution, you know, and that solution may involve, you know, a mountains of corpses uh, yes. of, of wildlife and, and human alike. So it's it's kind of like a responsibility that I feel like mm. we should take. Yeah, we, we, we have altered the, the landscape in many places and, and we need to accept responsibility. You're absolutely right. And, and to manage that. So that is, that's what Botswana is attempting to do. And the reality is they do it very well. Um, you know, a recent survey of the, the conservation of the world's megafauna and efforts and stuff had Botswana number one head and shoulders above actually, well, Namib- in fact, four out of the top five um, nations were, were um, countries that have hunting as an integral part of their, of their conservation mm-hmm. strategy. So, you know, they, they do very well, and, but they've come under a lot of pressure and that pressure of course comes from people who object to hunting and we can't you know it's the elephant in the room i suppose yeah a lot of people fundamentally and they would say morally object to hunting and and they will say it's morally wrong now my argument to that is that that is your morality not not everybody else's um Mm. i i personally think lots of things are right and wrong and whatever but i don't seek to enforce them on other people i don't i I don't believe that but i've had conversations with people who genuinely do um i had a conversation just last week with someone who basically said there is no difference between killing an animal and killing a human being now that's not a that's not a perspective that i have any ability really to intellectualize or, or take on board because yeah he's but, probably slapping mosquitoes all day long yeah but the reality of course is that that i haven't perhaps um thought through you know what wh- why do i for example think that it's immoral to kill a human being which which i mm-hmm. do um uh, but not immoral to kill an animal okay well what i'm suggesting is that maybe there is some form of universal morality you know we we, we would all agree that it's wrong to kill someone so therefore should we not then you know w- will will our, our sense of morals evolve over the next few hundred years and we'll we'll end up with a different perspective on animals that that is all very well and good and great for philosophical conversations and and, and mm-hmm. certainly very valid conversations to have but right 
right now that's not going to save wildlife unfortunately and i think what many exactly. people believe is that 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 loving animals is somehow magically going to save them and, and what they don't understand and what lots of people don't and what i'm what i'm increasingly realizing is that many political people that make decisions don't understand either is that mm -hmm. we, loving these animals will do nothing whatsoever for their conservation and we will end up with a situation where we erode habitat further and further the reality is they're not going to go extinct um, elephants and lions in national parks and things they're going to be protected what we're going to end up with is an impoverished depauperate world where we don't find wildlife outside of those heavily protected areas you know and yeah. and, and, and you can right now right you can drive through yeah you know, we were keeping a birding list as we were going through Botswana and Namibia back in November and you find wildlife and birds and, and habitat outside of those areas when you drive through some of the wildlife conservancies which are not fenced and not marked but people live in there and they gain some benefit from them um we, we stayed on a farm in Namibia, very interesting property actually. It was a cattle farm. It's huge, um, but it but it ran cattle for some of it. But actually, it also had a huge amount of wildlife, and they'd set up a hunting um, business there, which meant that the wildlife they had there now had a huge value. And they had giraffe. I mean, they had everything: blue wildebeest, black wildebeest, both types. Giraffe. They had mountain zebra there um, because the animals that that were living there were were being encouraged. They built water holes for them. Uh, they didn't have large predators in terms of lions, although they did occasionally find their way in there. Um, but they had leopards. They had cheetah on site. They had hyenas. Now, hyenas are generally persecuted by people that farm cattle. Um, but they weren't there because they happened to have a number of clients who wanted to hunt hyena. And so those hyena had quite a high value for them. So they were being encouraged, actually. Um, Caracal they had there. Again, an animal that ruthlessly persecuted by, by many livestock herders. The type of cat, kind of like an African lynx. Um, but again, they were there in good numbers. And the bird life was was phenomenal. Now, if that area, and, and this is an absolute reality, if they, and I asked them this question, if, if you could not get the money that you get from hunting, if hunting suddenly stopped and you weren't allowed to export trophies, you know, to Europe or to, to America, people didn't want to come to hunt anymore because they couldn't do that or it was being made to be unattractive or even illegal, what would happen? And, and the guy just looked at me and he said, well, we'd eat some of the wildlife for meat. And we'd convert some of the land for cattle, he said, and, and slowly but very surely, and probably not that slowly, um, the wildlife would have no no place here. Yeah. He said, and, oh. he goes, and that's not something that he wants. He says, but the reality is, you know, he has he has 22 families that live on that property who he yeah. is financially responsible for. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that's an awful lot of people, um, you know, that, that, that he's responsible for. He has his own family, too. You know, now they got some money from tourists. That's why we were there. We were staying in their tourist part of it. But but it's not sustainable with tourism alone. And it's not sustainable, interestingly, with hunting alone. Um, actually, the, the two work very nicely together with farming to keep that huge area working. And yeah. if, you re if you remove hunting, it won't. And, and it's as simple as that. It's not that they'll... I mean, people go, oh, we can just we can just replace it with money. OK, well, first of all, you've got to find that money. But what are you going to do? Go around every single patch of land across the world? Because we're, we're talking about Southern Africa, but actually this model is the North American species model. I think something like 60 percent of statewide funding comes from hunting revenue. It's found in Pakistan and in um, uh, Afghanistan, where it looks after Markor and things. Um, the Nunavut, uh, Nunavut up in uh, Canada. Um, Inuit communities that hunt muskox and polar bear. I mean, we're talking of large, <laughs> huge areas. You're not going to wave a magic wand and suddenly come up with a single solution. So, you know, that's my my concern is that 
I don't think people really understand the complexity and scale of what they're dealing with. They don't understand that simple solutions always in ecology come up with unintended consequences, that we know already a great deal about those unintended consequences from other natural and and um, unnatural you know, human interventions, if you like. And, you know, we need, to, we, need to, we need to treat this in a much more mature way than seeing something that we don't like mm. and perhaps don't understand and, and screaming that it needs to be banned. It's, it's, exactly. not, it's not as simple as that. Exactly. It's 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 a little bit like uh, this. This uh, it, it it wasn't me, but someone said like the approach is like I love elephants and I don't want anything bad happen to any single elephant. Full stop. Yeah. And and, and, I, and I'm with that, right? I, I I love elephants too. You know. <laughs> yeah, but but you you obviously you have like a broader view and you see much bigger picture. Um, yeah. Listen, listen, Adam. Um, so going back for one second to Botswana, the interesting thing you mentioned, and and this is something I picked up uh, again from from various interactions on Twitter, is that really uh, opening trophy hunting in Botswana is not aimed at lowering the population of elephants. That there's nowhere near, you know, we we have nowhere near enough hunters or interest in 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 shooting elephants to significantly lower the number that would be required to you know to lower that number um, yeah so so what's uh, how does that look like does it that we, are we talking about uh, like a massive call of the elephants or or what's i mean i you've got to hope not um certainly ele elephants have been culled in the past in fact i spoke to someone not that long ago who was involved in a cull in zimbabwe and it's mm. yeah it's a nightmarish situation culling is nearly always a you know shows shows a problem right that, you know to, to let something get it's no it's never your your desired end result um you know culling of elephants i mean just to describe what happened in, um, in zimbabwe at one point so it's it's a very specialist operation that goes on it involves vehicles lots of people with guns which is very dangerous um uh this guy was 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 actually he rode on the back of a land rover with uh with a shotgun his his is that he had to, yeah, he he wasn't shooting elephants with a shot. Well, he was actually, but he was herding them. So they were involved in grouping the elephants together because when you when you cull elephants, it has to be done. You know, you, you cull at herd level, mm -hmm. so you don't remove individuals. You basically cull the whole lot out. Um, he said, you know, that they made a plan. This is what we're going to do. He said, as soon as anyone goes in there, the whole thing just falls apart. There's just you know elephants falling over everywhere. There's people shooting everywhere. Um, people died. You know, pe people yeah. died doing this. In fact, the guy that took over his position apparently died a week later. Um, oh God. You know, so I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an awful it's an awful prospect. So um, you know, I see people occasionally go, oh, we'll cull them all in a very gung ho way. Um, I very much doubt any of those people have ever spoken to or you know been involved with with it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I I don't really want to want to speak to to that guy again about it it's quite you know it's quite an unpleasant thing to, to be hearing about um, yeah. but it's, it's a big thing to to color population down to any level that would be close would be um it would be just yeah, beyond um barbaric it's, it's not it's not going to happen right that's the reality you could it's argue it's it's horrific you said like they, they were lose, using like a military ammunition so it's like a fairly well small caliber right like uh, yeah, they were they were they were culling them with um with uh, F and files, so like um, R one, so like a battle rifle. It's, just, uh, it's not it's not it's not a humane kill of an elephant. I well, mean, it's, like... yeah, it's um. I mean, so that the equivalent 
civilian cartridge would be a 308. Um, so that's kind of what you would use for deer and 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 sort of smaller things. I mean, you know, it's yeah. Uh, when when people hunt hunt elephants, sort of trophy hunting elephants, they're typically using sort of um, calibers that begin with a four, um, so larger. But but I mean, yeah, it's an interesting one because actually, uh, I, I asked him about this and he said, yeah, no, it's really about placement. They they were they were sort of going for headshots and things. But but it, like he said, all of this stuff, it all sounds great, but and uh, you know, the reality when 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 the shit hits the fan is is that it's not it doesn't go down that way at all. And you know, he was describing all kinds of of, of incidents which were just not were just not um, you know, just not to be repeated, really. And, exactly. and, and, we, and we don't see that level of culling. They, they did cull in South Africa, I believe, in Kruger for a little bit. Um, but, but yeah, they, they, it's not, yeah, that, that, there, would be, there would be international outcry. The level of culling that would be required to be sensible, there's no point in doing this unless you're going to do it to a level that, that's sensible. And, you know, th- there would be huge amounts of problems trying to set what would be a sensible level, even before you look at the mechanics of it. And, and bearing in mind, once those elephants go down, um, that is that is meat. So so there'll be meat processing factories set up in the bush. And this guy said he was, they were followed by trucks, like giant flatbed trucks with sort of butchery sort of departments in them, basically trying to get the meat. It's hot. So of course, you've got to process them quickly. The skins, the hides are also taken. Uh, it just sounded, yeah. I mean, if, if there's a YouTube video actually called The Great Buffalo um, Hunt, uh, in Australia, I think I think if you just Google Great Buffalo Hunts Australia, it comes up with it. Um, they had a big problem with water buffalo, like yes. uh, non-native species in Australia, and and they took the decision to cull a lot of them out. And this video is it's like an hour-long documentary about it. Um, and again, you, you know, you can see the sort of level that's going on. It's it's you know, rapid fire. There's lots of animals going down. Oh. They, they're followed on with this big butchery kind of you know big flatbed butchery trucks. They're they're loaded on conveyor belts. The whole thing is sort of mechanized slaughter. It's it's not ideal, but they, but they they had they felt they had to do that because of the ecological damage. That they were causing so yeah the, the situation in in botswana with with their elephant numbers you know they've got huge numbers of elephants you can make all kinds of arguments for you know there's too many and so on but but the the hunting that's been set up is is in no way looking to address that number it simply it simply wouldn't be feasible to do that that's and, and that's that's important to 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 say that because you know and even i was at the beginning of the impression that this is what it's aimed to to do and then find out that no no it's not going to happen so so then what is the what is the solution for Botswana uh, and and I think that the interesting was um, local people uh, saying that they want to hunt that and you know what I I it, it's like a uh, really penny dropped because even you mentioned the trackers right it's a tracker who does the hunting it's not a ph it's damn sure not the uh, you know, paying yeah, clients, a yeah. lot of a lot of money in client. It's a tracker who does the who does the hunting, and um, I think it was that the conversation around the that oh, actually, you know, if you're hunting animals, their their uh, human conflict, animal animal human conflict will increase because those animals have nowhere to go. So you know, you you have a situation when you have a, a lot of people living with 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 uh, elephants. Or you have a situation when you're living with a lot of people living with a bunch of pissed elephants. So which one is worse? And then, you know, that conversation about, oh, why don't local hunts, right? Well, hunt, because they know, like, like you mentioned, they, they have that, that thing dialed in. They know how to hunt elephants and they are doing that using a poisoned arrows. It's, it's much more uh, quieter. Those elephants are not uh, apparently so upset about it they don't know really what happens and and so on is that the solution 
for Botswana to open up hunting for locals and and let let them to deal with the situation in some way. Yeah, I mean, potentially. So, yeah, and you're right. Well, I mean, one of the other issues of, of elephant hunting, um, uh, particularly taking individuals out, is that, that herd dynamics can change. Um, local knowledge is, is, is held within sort of matriarchal societies of elephants. They have very complex social lives, um, very sensitive social lives. And, and, you know, removing individuals from them can cause all sorts of problems. You know, hunting hunting an elephant is no small thing um, in, in no sort of sense of the word. And, and, and lots of people would make very valid arguments, I think, that, that they can be all kinds of knock-on effects you know this, this is not <laughs> none of this is ideal right this isn't a conversation that we want to be having um, and it's not a conversation we want to be having in 50 years time or 100 years time but but you're right the the idea of local um, people having sort of dominion if you like over those those animals and, and doing things is, is a model that we see in northern Canada so in the, in Nunavut which is an, an Inuit nation effectively in northern Canada um, they have a polar bear quota which is very rigidly uh, rigidly sort of defined very carefully defined and that polar bear quota is is given to local people and they can they can if they wish pass some of that quota on and make use of it through through um trophy hunting if you like through through foreign hunters coming in um and and they can they can decide what to do with that they can decide how many they go through i think there's a limit to how many sort of um tags they can offer if you like but you know there's some regulation involved um but it works it works for them and actually polar bears are uh, are doing well in those areas so that is that is potentially a model that that, that Botswana could use um it, you know there's there's no there's no reason I suppose why why they couldn't but but Botswana is very much finding its feet with this at the moment um you know this is the first sort of quota of elephants coming through there's been pronouncements from the Botswana government actually just last week uh last weekend um saying look you know we haven't done this lightly this is a big decision um, but we're doing it for these reasons. This is the consultation. And within that was actually a very interesting statement, which I'll paraphrase now, which was basically we've received lots of letters from overseas NGOs, um, you know, interfering with this process, not acting in the best interest of wildlife or the area here. And, you know, they had the opportunity to bid for this these areas when it was a tourist concession only, and they didn't. And, you know, so basically, I mean, the sort of subtext is basically so, you know, butt out is really the, yeah. the subtext. We see similar things coming through from Namibia as well. Um, kind of basically, we know what we're doing and, you know, what you're doing is interfering. Um, that particularly was the case when an elephant called Vortrekker was, well, called Vortrekker. Elephants aren't called anything. Um, they may be called something in there world but you know we guide tourist guides come up with names for particularly charismatic animals that they can find easily um which builds up a nice uh rapport for the sorts of visitors that want to go and see animals with a name um personally i don't i i i I hate the fact that i see you know follow various parks that i've been to and i see animals pinged up and they go oh this is such and such no it's not you know that's (laughs) i I really don't like that do you feel feel like it's taking from its wildness yeah i absolutely (laughs) do i absolutely do um but but you know so these sorts of uh so that that animal was killed actually as as was hunted um legally and completely above board and everything else but but it became a big story and actually the namibian um sort of government then released a statement that, that effectively said you know this has been um fanned up you know the flames have been fanned by by three ngos they didn't name them although i could you know you can very easily find the names of the individuals involved actually um and that they've done it they effectively said that they've done it for donor harvesting you know that they've done it to raise attention and to get to get money and that you know this doesn't help conservation and things so what we're starting to see now is these kind of 
kind of quite um you know you can sort of sense the sort of frustration and also kind of an anger from yeah. from some of these countries of you know you're you're going to stand thousands of miles away and tell us how to manage our wildlife when you don't have any wildlife around and you know, I, I forget i don't know exactly i think it was it was eisenhower who said um you know farming is very easy when you're plow is a pen and you're a thousand miles from the cornfield and and in a sense uh, yes. that that is this kind of vibe and so it's it's uh, it's it's interesting to see how it'll happen but obviously the, you know this has come to a fore to a certain extent or come to a head to a certain extent because of the the consultation that we've had here in the uk mm-hmm. um on trophy hunting which had various options from sort of complete ban to doing nothing Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lots of lots of organisations pushing for that option three, the complete ban. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know what 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 their plan. I don't know how they believe that's going to work. Um, a complete ban on imports here in the UK wouldn't necessarily have a huge effect in the short term, potentially in some of these areas, although it would have an effect. Of course, the the knock on effect is that it starts to begin, you know, this process of banning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the argument would be, you know, you need you need to come up with solutions. But of course, on a flip side of that argument, and, and it's not an invalid one, is well, you have to make the start somewhere. So maybe, you know, putting a line in the sand will encourage people to come up with other solutions. My, my argument against that really is that there are plenty of people working desperately to come up with other solutions at the moment. You know, should we should we be tying the hands of the people that are are doing this? But you know, let's let's not pretend for a moment that this, yeah, none of this is ideal. This isn't a conversation that that that. You know, we should be having. If we went to another planet, this isn't how we would manage it. You know, yeah. it, it's it's not how we might necessarily like to be managing things in two or three hundred years' time, or even fifty years' time. You know, just based on sort of dynamics and hunter recruitment and so on. You know, we 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 do need to come up with more mature ways. But you know, my, my argument would be, well, if if the UK feel that way, rather than tying the hands of people doing doing the conservation that we want them to do, yeah, we should be leading the charge to find better ways and and ways plural because we're talking about a very complex landscape lots of species different populations different human populations cultures history politics you know we can't broad brush paint africa you know as we tend to one one like it's one place we can't treat these species like they're one one thing either because we're actually dealing with populations so some lion populations for example are increasing um in areas where they're hunted other lion populations are decreasing some lion populations are hunted some aren't there are issues even within you know very small geographical areas in terms of how things are regulated this is complicated stuff and it's sort of become shorthand now to well you know ban trophy hunting um african wildlife you know we we use these horribly broad terms which yes which remove all that complexity and make the problem seem really simple and the problem is really complex and we, we we know with all ecological situations that simple solutions to complex problems end up with with unintended consequences you know whether it's cane toads in australia or you know banning hunt banning hunting in kenya or even you know things like for example changes in land use land law in kenya for instance um suddenly allowed people to start selling off portions of land and so they started fencing that land and that fencing has now been infenced and we have areas where for example the maasai um uh, or the mara national park where the large uh, wildebeest and other antelope migrations go through is now being threatened as a consequence of fencing you know now that that is an unintended consequence um there was a ban on polar bears uh polar bear importation of, of polar bear trophies if you like 
yeah. uh, from Canada. The, the US put that in. It was part of their Endangered Species Act and things, you know, lots of fanfare. Um, that made no difference whatsoever to the number of polar bears that were being killed because, of course, it didn't change the quota. It just yeah. meant that the people in the areas where they had that harvest quota were unable to sell any of that to overseas hunters, which meant that they lost out financially, which made them less engaged with the conservation process and made those polar bears overall less valuable to them. So there were unintended consequences of that. Yeah. But I would specify unintended, but not unpredictable. Um, yes, you know that's exactly. that's the problem. Yeah, we didn't mean it for it to happen, but we kind of knew it would. And and that and that's really the problem for me with this with this sort of this ban situation. We we kind of know what's going to happen if we start seeing more and more bans because we've already seen it happen. Um, so you know it is it is frustrating. But equally, I, I really do get. You know, I, I do, and I, I don't think I sort of always put this across very well. But I do completely understand people's outrage and sense of outrage when they first come across this or even when they've looked at it in some depth i, I get that i do I, I had that when i first came across it and i still get it now when i look at pictures of people you know holding up lion's heads and grinning and stuff i i still feel i i feel that too but it's you know it's not enough My, you know we, we need to look at the bigger picture and we need to be more mature about it and we do need to look for alternative ways Exactly. Uh, how do you think it's going to end up with the with the current consultations about the trophy hunt? Uh, um, like I mean, prediction, if you had to make a prediction. Well, look, uh, the, the reality is an awful lot of people have been motivated to either fill in the extremely convoluted and quite problematic form, in my opinion, or email to support option three, a complete ban. Um, all of the, the rhetoric in the UK media has been to support a ban. I've seen nothing balanced in the UK media over the last couple of months, really. And I've seen an awful lot, and I'll, you know, let's be quite plain about it, misinformation. Um, in some cases, I mean, yeah, I think we can legitimately call it fake news. So yeah. the, the consultation will be overwhelmingly inundated, I'm sure, with, um, with people to ban it. I also know that a number of, you know, lots of people and organizations and countries have submitted sort of evidence and statements um, to say that actually it's fine the way it is and we don't need to do anything. Um, the reality, of course, is that the government will see this as, a, as a, an easy win. Um, we are in difficult times politically. We've got Brexit running through. We now have coronavirus causing issues. You know, the idea that, that you could get a well, you know, these front page news most yes. weeks some sort of hunting story right the idea that, that the government can do something w which will be perceived as good i think will be irresistible to them um they will be personal i mean you know it's the the the, the soon-to-be wife of the prime minister is one of the key voices calling for a ban um you know we can't we can't pretend that that these things don't all play a part um it will be seen as politically um useful so i think there will be some form of of sort of government action over it um i i doubt it will be a complete ban my, my suspicion will be that it will be a tightening of regulations or that uh countries that want to import to the uk will have to prove that that hunting is is causing conservation benefits and in some respects actually that wouldn't be a bad thing um you know greater regulation and monitoring better evidencing of conservation all of those things so yeah i i suspect that that's what will happen um i very much doubt that 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 a complete ban will be the mm -hmm. the end of it just because um yeah of of, of potential implication but but who knows who knows yeah. um i believe yeah, the US are going through a similar thing as well so you know it'll be interesting to see how it pans out but but it's it's the role of evidence and 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 sort of balanced views in making these decisions which i think is also an issue that we need to consider it's a good point that you made that uh, uh to some extent uh having 
you know, those countries to provide uh, stronger evidence, it might be good because, you know, I don't think that anyone wants to pretend that all hunting is good and all hunting benefits uh, conservation, yeah. and, right? So it, it, it actually might be, might be beneficial. I heard about a company who are uh, doing like a 3D prints of trophies so you can actually go to Africa or whatever, or, or even um, like you mentioned with the polar bears, uh, where they they kind of scan the animal and they reproduce in the 3D prints, uh, you know, very very realistic. Whether it's a it's a it's a bone trophy or even like with a um, you know fur and everything else. So it's like yeah. a, you know kind of very close copy that you can have if you if you happen to live in a country that bans that or if you if you're a um, you know hunted animal that it can be can be imported yeah um, i mean it's, it's an interesting as well as well because actually what, what people think that they're voting for i think certainly looking at some of the comments on twitter is a ban on trophy hunting what they don't really realize is that they're actually looking at a ban on importing trophies to the uk um yeah. you know i can see a situation like let's imagine that you want to go trophy hunting you you want to go to Africa, say, and you want to shoot a kudu, right? A spiral horned antelope or an impala or something. Mm-hmm. Now you might think, okay, I'm not that rich, and actually most people, that, and a lot of people that do this aren't millionaires. You know, maybe you look down through the prices. Now currently, the expectation is that you will shoot that animal, you'll be on site for a certain amount of time. You know, all of those fees are kind of fixed, but then there'll be a trophy fee that will involve um, preparing that trophy, yeah. skinning the animal, um, taxidermy, uh, packaging, shipping, all the paperwork. You know, that, that adds quite a lot onto your package. Now, you know, at the moment, that may well put people off. I can imagine a situation where they go, okay, look, we've got this like Brits deal, you know. Um, we don't expect you to do that because we know you can't. So you can come and do all this and, and suddenly you've got a cheaper price. It's not inconceivable that that cheaper price might encourage more people to to hunt because suddenly they don't have the expectation of bringing that that trophy back. And for many people, you know, the, the tra- let, let, let's, let's be quite real about this. Um, every time I go out for a walk, I come back with a trophy. I'm looking at my, my shelves in front of me now and I've got an old deer antler that I found and I've got a bit of broken mm-hmm. bird egg and stuff. You know, for many people, that, that is a, it, yeah. it is a memento of an experience. It is not the reason necessarily. Some people, yes, it is. They have their trophy rooms and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, it's just, you know, they, they went out for a hunting experience. They probably ate most, you know, they, they certainly would have had the fillets off a, off a good antelope and things, you know, because that's part of the experience as well. And then they would have been able to bring something back and have it as a, mem- a memory, if you like. Yeah. So, But it is not the be all and end all for many people, but it is part of the expense. So, you know, that that kind of dynamic, I think, I think <laughs> could be could could be an interesting uh, interesting proposal but 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 the reality of course is that uk is a relatively small player in this um you know i've heard two percent figures i mean you know it's it's i've never okay. seen too many data around it but you know we, we are not one of the major players within the, the economics of trophy hunting that's the united states and certain european nations so and china, how, the china uh, well increasingly, yeah increasingly so I- interestingly and of course that can link into other issues as well um including uh, potentially laundering um, uh, elephant ivory or, or rhino horn through through trophy hunting, which we've seen, by the way, in the latter case with, with Vietnamese trophy hunters in South Africa a while ago, decade oh. ago now. Um, so pe- people would come uh, sort of you know, sham trophy hunters. They would come because the rules, you can't sell or export rhino horn. That's been illegal, but you can take a rhino trophy back for personal use. And so the idea is that, that businessmen would go out, you uh-huh. know, basically rhino syndicates would go out and hunt, bring it back as a trophy, and then it would just disappear. Um, you yeah. know, that's, that's been, that's been 
sort of clamp down on now. Um, but you know, you, you, there's all kinds of unintended consequences again of of these sorts of bans. Um, the rhino horn trade within South Africa was banned in 2009, I think, and that coincides with the beginning of the current poaching onslaught. And many people will point to that and say, you know, this is what's happened as a consequence of that ban. Uh, many other people say that that's not true. You know, none of this stuff is straightforward. But but I can see, you know, I could see the potential for for actually an expansion of the market. I mean, you know, it's not 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 a ridiculous thing, but but who knows how, how it will all pan out. Um, but one yeah. thing that is very clear is that, you know, there will still be trophy hunting going on next year, regardless of what the British government say. And, you know, there may well be more consultations and there may be more international consultations. I know American governments are thinking about about sort of tightening up and things. And, you know, this is, this is an activity that is, you know, is going to be under continual and increasing threat and that is a problem not for the activity i couldn't care less if people weren't able to do this tomorrow it will be a big problem for the habitat it currently protects and and that is you know that is that is why uh, many of us are concerned about it you know we don't i'm not you, you said at the beginning about being an advocate or proponent of it i'm not i have no skin in this game at all i'm not in the employer, never have been of any organisation other than the university that employs me. Um, I'm not interested in this as a pursuit. I, you know, to, to to get involved with trophy hunting, first of all, you have to have the uh, inclination to do it, which I don't. But secondly, you have to have time and money. And you know, I've got a fairly large young family and and a, I'm an academic. I, I don't have any. I don't take any of the boxes to do this. This isn't something yeah. that's personal. You don't. You don't have 120,000 pounds lying yeah, around yeah. to go and I, shoot I, you know, Nick Tusker. <laughs> exactly. And you know, three three weeks to spare to sort of disappear. Um, you know, this isn't. This isn't. Uh, th this is about this is about looking at things in the round and understanding that there is a role for this in conservation and that we need to be careful with how we proceed with with this you know we, we need to be careful we can't but, but you're right you said earlier you know there is a need for for you know countries and for for areas to say look you know this is the benefit that this brings here we go what, what we don't hear actually is enough of those stories what, what we're hearing generally is an awful lot of noise from one side about banning it often really not backed up with anything um you know i say to people show me the conservation show me these species that are a conservation concern and they'll all say you know giraffe no that's not true you know lion no elephant no rhino quite the opposite you know white rhino uh, increased in numbers as a consequence of it you know there are there is there is that aspect of it but then they will come down to they find it morally repugnant okay I, I i get that the flip side is often scientists saying oh but you know here are the facts and figures here's this here's that what's missing quite frequently in in those debates are the voices of the people on the ground mm -hmm. and and the, the reasons for that are complex in some cases because those people are too busy doing doing what they do and in many cases because we don't go out and get their point of view they, they they're not on twitter they're not writing for national newspapers they're not able to yeah. come on podcasts you know we're not hearing that and, and in some cases of course um you know further out in the sticks you know you're talking about people that you know maybe maybe don't speak english too well or you know they, they don't they don't want to go and, and do this sort of thing you know we're not we're not reaching the sort of um that those kind of stories that, that are based in the locations where the, these activities goes on we you know we don't hear from people who for example have had their crops trampled yes by elephants we hear people telling the story you know we talked about it but we yeah. haven't heard from the people and you know i think we need many more stories from from these areas to talk about wildlife to talk about the conflicts that exist to talk about their respect for wildlife how they you know they they love these things right they're part of their a deep rooted part of their culture far more than ours yeah right? but, but they have a different way of looking at things and a different type of problem you know we don't get that we don't we don't sort of sort of learn about 
pumps that have been put in by by hunters. We we don't hear about, for example, anti anti poaching, um, which is which is funded in a great many areas by money that comes from from hunters. We don't hear. I mean, there's a fantastic um, place in Mozambique called Kutada Eleven, which is a huge conservation success story. They've translocated lions there. Twenty four lions. If you look up twenty four lions dot org, you know that they, they they've repopulated the area with lions and nearly doubled their numbers. I think in very little time. Huge numbers of antelope there now. You know that was a, a project that came about you know, through hunting. We don't hear those stories. It's very difficult to get the press to cover them because nobody wants to be seen to support trophy hunting. Such is the the sort of push against it. Um, you know, if, if, if you get mentioned sort of supporting trophy hunting, well, first of all, you take a lot of personal abuse, but you're normally just put down as a last sentence in, in, a, in an article that's basically, you know, outlined sort of how people do it um mm-hmm. it's, it's very difficult and when we're not hearing we're not hearing that diversity of voices we're just hearing from kind of scientists saying look hang on we need to be careful here it has a role and then loads of other people saying well look it's abhorrent we don't want to do it anymore um that, that yeah. is, both sides are, are guilty of, of simplistic preaching and in some cases quite hectoring narratives and you know i'm aware that that i'm i'm guilty of that sometimes too and you know, it's yeah, it's a much more subtle argument. It deserves better. I, I, I heard I heard that uh, that uh, phrase uh, conservation colonialism. The, yes, kind of like we're gonna we're gonna tell now we're gonna tell you what to do. Leave those elephants and lions alone. Right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I was like, oh, that's simple, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and of course, the flip side of that is people say, well, you know, trophy hunting itself is a very colonial activity. So this is, you know, it, it all gets very complex. And it's sort of as soon as you start bringing up that um, aspect of it, you start opening a whole other, um, mm-hmm. you know, can of worms be, be beyond the conservation or the science of it, or whether you want to debate the ethics and morality of it. You, you've then got the sort of, you know, this kind of idea of neo-colonialism, of imperialism, and so on, cultural imperialism, um, racism rears its head, of course, as well. And I mean, you know, we, we've seen pronouncements, I think, from the um, president of Botswana who who called out you know, organizations as, as being racist, I think, uh, you know, a couple of years ago or a year or so ago, um, you know, so, so we've, we've got this kind of thing running in as well, which, which only serves, of course, to further confuse an already difficult yes. area. So yeah, no, none of this, you know, we said it before, none of this is easy. Um, none of it's desirable. This isn't where we want to be, but equally it is where we are. And for many areas it's working, you know, that's, that's the reality of it. Fantastic, um, Adam. It's 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 incredibly fantastic, and thank you for your time. Thank you uh, with with us and explaining all that. Um, is there anything else that you would like to uh, close that podcast with? Well, I'd really, I, I think, really the sort of the, the sort of message that look, you know, this isn't. I don't think, uh, you know, I think of of all the the sort of scientists that I've spoken to about this isn't something that any of us really want, um, but we understand the value of it. But if we if we want to get rid of it, we need to come up with more imaginative solutions, and and they're going to come from all kinds of different areas, um, you know, things that people haven't even thought of yet, or things that people have thought of that can be scaled up. But it's going to require a diversity of approaches, and we we need to start thinking of the world in a much more sophisticated way. So so I would just say that you know that's that's what we need to be putting our energies towards not getting increasingly upset and angry about specific things or specific activities but trying to fix those problems trying to come up with a way to develop and bring people up in terms of their level of development in ways that live in 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 harmony with what's left of the natural world you know and 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 allow for there to be wildlife and natural spaces outside of heavily protected you know fortress conservation style 
you know, national parks and so on, where people are effectively excluded. You know, that's what we need to be turning our attention to. And, and, and it's not too late to do that. And if we don't like conservation hunting as a solution, if we don't like ecotourism or we, we, we understand that it's not applicable everywhere else, we are going to need to find other things. And, and you know, that's, that's really, I think, I think what we should be spending more of our energies doing. Absolutely. Um, Adam, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. You just listened to an archived episode of the Tommy's Outdoors Conservation and Science Podcast. I invite you to take a moment and listen to one of the most recent episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy it.